Well, again, welcome to Kingswood. I hope you've enjoyed the children's sermon and the wonderful music and the time of remembering our baptism. It's been a really powerful morning today, and we're so grateful that you're with us. Uh, today we uh, are talking about baptism, and we're also celebrating communion. And as we've remembered our baptism, and later Pastor Clayton will preside over the table, we experience these two sacraments, uh, which is a word that means mystery. And they do two things. Jesus did both of them. He was baptized, and he also instituted the Lord's Supper or communion, sometimes called Eucharist. And in both of these sacraments, we believe they are a means of grace. We receive grace. And we're so grateful for both of them uh, as marks of our Christian life together. So, friends, I, I just uh, remind you of the importance of God's grace and being chosen and beloved. You may remember I had these experiences as an elementary, junior high, and high school kid. Remember those sports times when people chose teams, whether it was on the block or in the playground or literally on the football field or court? Some folks would choose and be the captains, and then they'd say, let's start choosing people. And you may remember that you had a positive experience. You're one of the first people chosen. But my experience was being one of the last people chosen. Do you remember the back and forth? I choose this person, I choose this person. And sometimes you'd kind of raise your hand in hopes of being chosen, but then you wouldn't be. In fact, many times I was near the end or sometimes at the very end. Now, it's interesting, much later in life, when I was in seminary at SMU, uh, SMU had a big intramural program, and the seminary had a host of teams uh, from hockey to all kinds of stuff, but we had a team of softball, and I wanted to play, but I was a terrible softball and baseball player, and so I didn't think I would even be asked. I remember one day that there was a knock on my dorm room door, and the knock came, and I opened it, and it was Roger Parker, and Roger invited me to join his team and to be a part of one of Perkins softball teams. That was the name of the seminary. I was shocked. I thought maybe they had gotten the wrong door. I thought they'd gotten the wrong person. And I said, Roger, I'm a terrible player. And he said, no, 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 this is for fun and we really want you to be part of it. And what happened over that period of that spring is I learned to play well because I felt chosen. I felt like an important person. I felt like I was part of the team. Today, we celebrate that God chooses us. God claims us in our baptism as the beloved children God has created. In the story today, we hear God speaking that similar word to Jesus at his baptism. May it be true for us today, even if we don't fully understand it. Uh, as Methodists, we believe in three kinds of grace, or that unconditional love. And one of those is the gift of prevenient grace. You can use that in a Zoom meeting this week, and people will be impressed with you. Provenient grace is God's love or unconditional love that is present for us even when we do not know it. That's why we baptize infants, because we know that God's grace is already at work and parents make a decision on their behalf. But God's provenient grace, that grace which we might not even recognize, is already working in our life. Today you've already heard this beautiful passage uh, read from the Gospel of Mark. Remember, Mark was probably the first gospel written, though it's not in the lineup as first. Mark was probably written around 70 AD. Uh, and it's, it's a very to-the-point gospel. It's very uh, much uh, immediate. There's not a lot of flowery language, not a lot of detail in the stories. But Mark is kind of in a hurry 
to share this story, this gospel, this good news about Jesus. In fact, in the very beginning of Mark, there is no birth story, there's no wise men, there are no shepherds or angels. It's just a very quick word. The beginning of the good news, which also translates gospel, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We get really clear, Jesus is the Messiah, he's also the Son of God. And it happened as it was written in the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes Isaiah and Malachi and then moves us immediately into the life and ministry of Jesus. Mark is giving a sense of urgency, but he's also naming it as the gospel, good news about the transforming power of Jesus. There are three other gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, but Mark, probably written first, was the most urgent and the simplest to follow. In the story today, which picks up in verse 4, we meet John the Baptist. Remember, that's Jesus' cousin, his mother, Elizabeth, knew Mary, and we know that from other Gospels. But here we immediately meet John the Baptist. John was in the wilderness, that place where God shapes us, in the middle of nowhere, calling for people to be baptized, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. One of the translations, John was baptizing for repentance and forgiveness of sin. Repent is a word we don't spend a lot of time with, but it's a powerful word. In Hebrew, it means to turn around. In Greek, metanoian, it means to change one's heart. It's like going in one direction and now turning in the other. John was baptizing people at the Jordan River in the wilderness, outside of Jerusalem, in the middle of nowhere, calling them to repent, to turn their lives around, change their hearts, confess their sins, and seek forgiveness. And so there was John baptizing as people confess their sins. And we learn a little bit about this strange guy named John the Baptist. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And that's a strange description of John. It says he's kind of a wild and woolly kind of guy in the wilderness. But it's all indicative of what Elijah did, that prophet in the Old Testament or Hebrew scripture. There's a deep connection. Elijah paves the way for the Messiah. And indeed, John the Baptist does the same. He announced, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. John the Baptist already gives us a sense that his role is not to be the Savior, but to prepare the way of the Savior. In fact, John uses an image of a slave who the slaves in a home would take off the sandals of the master. But he says he's not even worthy to untie or loosen the sandal of the one who's coming. John has a deep sense of his role as one preparing the way for the coming of Christ. John says, I baptize you with water, but this one will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John reminds them that he is using water as a symbol of repentance and change and forgiveness. But Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' baptism will claim us, call us, change us, transform us, and save us. About that time, in verse 9, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Mark wants us to know that Jesus isn't from the capital and Jesus isn't from the typical cities. He's from the northern region, kind of the rural area, from a small unknown village of Nazareth. This unknown comes from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. The Jordan River holds a whole host of meaningful purposes for the people of God through the Old Testament. While Jesus was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens split open. Now that's interesting. It uh, also means that heavens were torn apart. 
it's the same verb and the same phrasing that will be used later upon his death. Remember when it says the temple curtain was ripped apart or split open? It's the same word, the same connection. And there's something powerful in that word. Jesus saw the heavens torn apart and a dove, like a dove, the spirit came upon him and down upon him. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. In you, I find happiness. One translation, in you, I find joy. In another, I am well pleased with you. It's interesting in Mark, and I find this fascinating. No one else hears this voice of God or sees the heavens open but Jesus. In other gospels, it's a much more public act. Other people hear it. They're frightened by it. But here, it's Jesus alone. And then something interesting happens. Jesus is baptized. God claims him. God just rejoices in who this beloved son is. And then the spirit, that same spirit, which Jesus will see as a dove, which he will baptize in, that same spirit forces Jesus into the wilderness. And it's there, which we'll learn about in a couple of weeks, that he faces temptation and struggle. I love this version of the baptism story. It's very simple and to the point. But it reminds us that in it, Jesus is claimed. God calls him beloved. There's all these connections to repentance and renewal around John the Baptist. But it's clearly that we're sent back into the world, even into the wilderness, to live our faith. Today, we remember our baptism and we give thanks. We remember whether we were sprinkled on as a sign of the Holy Spirit, whether we were poured upon and washed away our sin, or whether we were immersed in the death and resurrection of Jesus in a pool of water. It does not matter. We as Methodists believe in all three kinds. But we know that in our baptism, God claims us, initiates us in Christ's holy church, calls us to a life of repentance, forgiveness, and renewal, and introduces us to the saving power of Jesus. Several years ago in a church I served in Rockford, there was a young man named Robert. Robert had been through a very difficult and challenging young adulthood. He had struggled with broken relationships, a divorce, and he had also struggled with the issues of addiction and alcoholism. He came to our church through one of our recovery groups and began to participate in our worship life. I'll never forget the day that it dawned on him that God loved him even in the midst of his struggles, that God's prevenient grace, remember that, was at work. And now God's justifying grace was making right the relationship he desperately needed with Jesus. And God was already working to make him holy through sanctifying grace. Those three kinds of grace, right, that are biblical and a part of our life. Robert was so moved by that whole experience in his life that he came to me one day and said, I've never been baptized. And so I remember the day that we blew up a little kiddie pool in the sanctuary. And I remember the day that Robert, this adult, uh, kneeled in that pool and we together poured three pitchers of water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That water just made so much noise, it washed over him. And as he stood up and came up out of the water, we all rejoiced. In fact, the congregation applauded because Robert was, is, and continues to be a beloved child of God. Today, friends, we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, but in it we celebrate our baptism and God's claim on our lives, that God's grace abounds for us, and we're called to a life of change, repentance. If we're headed in this direction, we turn in the opposite direction. We let God change our hearts, and we seek forgiveness and renewal 
because Jesus has come to save us and is saving the world in powerful and wonderful ways. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen.